Hey friends, if you would, grab your Bible, open up to John chapter 12. We're going to be reading through verses 12 through 26 of chapter 12. And if you're just joining us, you'll know that we're going through the Gospel of John for this whole year. Uh, We started back this previous fall, and uh, when we made that schedule, uh, one of the coolest things to me that um, worked out, uh, one of those sort of God moments, you know, that we all experience uh, uh, throughout our lives, was when I scheduled out the Gospel of John, this passage fell exactly on Palm Sunday. And so this Palm Sunday, we actually get to study uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem as the ultimate king of kings on Palm Sunday. Uh, So with that, let's read John chapter 12, verses 12 through 26 right now. Hopefully you've got a Bible open in front of you. Uh, Friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he raised Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. For if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we ask in the powerful name of King Jesus uh, that your Holy Spirit would be with us even now uh, during this time. Lord, that we would see your son Jesus and we would know what it means to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Well, friends, I don't know if you've come to that point in your life yet, uh, but uh, it really doesn't matter uh, how old you are. Uh, You can be, you know, 14 or 40 or 84, uh, but there's going to come a day in your life, um, if you're at all familiar with Christianity or you were raised in the church um, or you do things like watch sermons online, Uh, there's going to come a profound day of realization, uh, friends, when you realize that there is a real difference between simply liking Jesus and liking to be around him and actually following him. Uh, The story in our passage this morning about Palm Sunday Um, As exciting and as powerful as Palm Sunday is, you know, everyone's so excited that King Jesus 
is coming into Jerusalem. Uh, this story is really about the difference between sort of liking Jesus, enjoying being around him, uh, maybe even enjoying being a part of his people, uh, but also comparing liking him with actually what it means to follow him. And in fact, as exciting as the beginning of this passage is with crowds and palm trees and people shouting and singing, it ends in kind of a surprising way with Jesus talking to some non-Jewish people, some Greeks as uh, John calls them. And Jesus ends by talking about uh, how we need to give up our lives in order to gain it. And that if we really want to be Christians, we have to serve Jesus. And by serving him, we learn what it means to follow him. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you've realized that yet in your life, you know, and you may be a teenager right now, you may be 40, and like I said, you may be 84, uh, but every one of us is going to have to realize at some point that there's a real difference between just liking Jesus and liking to be around him and actually learning what it means to follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, uh, you know, when I, when I thought about this, I know that um, I was raised in the church, but I don't know that I really truly followed him ever until college. And I don't know when that day was for you, if you've had it yet, but whenever I, I think about this difference between sort of liking Jesus and learning to really follow him, I think about my friend Rob. And, uh, you know, years ago, I remember sitting down with my friend Rob, and he told me about how he became a Christian. And he uh, had a beautiful testimony, as every Christian does. Um, he had a beautiful testimony, and he became a Christian on a mission trip. Uh, you see, there was a youth mission trip at our church years ago, and Rob went on that youth mission trip. Uh, but the surprising thing about Rob is that he wasn't one of the teenagers on the mission trip. Um, in fact, Rob was the parent of several of the kids on the mission trip. And in fact, Rob was also a deacon at our church at the time. Uh, but what Rob realized as he listened to the missionaries sharing about what it really means to follow God and to trust and follow Jesus Christ alone, Rob realized on that mission trip that even though he had been raised in the church, he had never given his life fully to Jesus Christ and learned what it meant to obey him and follow him. And so I love to think about how my friend Rob uh, came to Christ after he was already a leader in his church and after he had already been raised in the church. And it was only then when it became clear that there was a difference between just sort of liking God and liking Jesus and maybe liking the church and really following him. And friends, if you look through our whole passage, you'll start to see just how much that theme comes up all over the story of Palm Sunday. Uh, we learn what it means to follow the Lord and what it does not mean. And we can see that in all these different people groups that are responding to Jesus. Uh, you know, first we get sort of the crowds, you know, and how they respond to Jesus. But then we also get some Pharisees and we get the disciples and then we also get some Greeks and so all throughout this story, different people are having different responses to Jesus. But each one of them is um, sort of unpacking for us what it means and what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus. So with that in mind, let's uh, start with our passage. We're going to be looking at sort of four different groups. And let's see what we learn about uh, what it does mean and what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus from each one of them. Well, right there in verse 12, let's learn first from the crowds. 
What are we supposed to learn from this large crowd of people? Right there in verse 12, it tells us the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So uh, for the context of our story, what's happening right here is uh, Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem in time to celebrate the annual feast of Passover. And if you know uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you'll know that the Passover was celebrating how God delivered his people from slavery and brought them to the promised land. But in the Old Testament, they were enslaved to Egypt and they were brought to the promised land of Israel. But now Jesus is entering Passover in a completely unique way. Um, No one had ever worshipped and celebrated Passover the way that it's going to be celebrated in our story. Because at this Passover, the ultimate lamb that will be sacrificed, whose innocent blood will be spilled, won't just be the lambs that people have brought. It will be Jesus Christ. You see, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is our Passover lamb who was slain for us. In fact, the Gospel of John begins with John the Baptist saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what makes this story so unique, what makes this the triumphal entry, as a lot of people will call this story, is that Jesus is now entering Passover to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so um, this starts to shed light on why Jesus is accepting their praise and their worship and why he's letting them hail him as king. Uh, But what we need to realize first is uh, right there in verse 12, there is a large crowd of people. You know, it was likely hundreds of thousands of people. You know, there's ancient records, you know, from a, a guy named Josephus who used to say that there were something like two and a half million people at Passover. Well, that's, you know, that's probably um, too many people, uh, but likely there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people here in Jerusalem. And what we realize is that right there in verse 12, these crowds are all super excited that Jesus is there. You know, they, they climb trees, they break off branches. You know, Matthew and Mark and Luke, they tell us they throw their cloaks down and let Jesus' donkey come through on their clothes. These people are so excited to see Jesus. Um, or, or to think about it a different way, these are people who really, really, really like Jesus. They want to be associated with him. Uh, They want to praise him. You know, they quote from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. They say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are people who, um, as one of my friends will say, they want to bask in the reflective glory of another person. Uh, These are people who want to be associated with Jesus. Uh, John goes out of his way uh, to tell us that they actually, they're they're actually coming to Jesus as Jesus is entering the city. They're they're sort of meeting him on his way in so that they can all be part of the entourage that goes through Jerusalem. Uh, But remember, friends, um, just because these people like Jesus here at the triumphal entry, that doesn't mean that they've learned what it means to follow him. Because in fact, At the end of Passover week, 
on Passover, on Good Friday, Jesus will be rejected. And crowds of people will say, crucify him, crucify him. And they will kill him as a criminal. And I think this is why Jesus, when he finally does speak at the end of this passage, why Jesus um, tells those Greeks, the people who actually want to talk to him and not just be exuberant and excited, why he starts talking to them about losing their life so they can find it. Why only by following and serving him can they ever really have life itself. And it's also why Jesus is talking about seeds going into the ground and dying so they can sprout new life. Because you see, uh, the crowds, they like Jesus and they like the excitement. But what Jesus is focused on is why he's come, which is to save us all and to call us now to follow him. So what do we learn from the crowds? Well, we learn that um, following Jesus uh, means something more than simply liking him. Uh, but what we also learned from the crowds, I think what we're also supposed to glean from them in a, a pretty profound way, uh, is notice in verse 13 that Jesus accepts their praise. Um, yeah, the crowds, maybe they don't totally follow Jesus yet, but they do quote scripture and they say to Jesus, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So following Jesus, from what we learn from the crowds, it does mean at the first and primary level, uh, it does mean understanding and acknowledging who Jesus Christ is. And Christ is not his last name. Christ is just a Greek word that means Messiah. And all Messiah means is the anointed one, the one who has come to save us all. He is the ultimate uh, son of King David. He's the king of Israel, and he is the king of this world. And he really, truly is the only one who can save us because he's our Passover lamb. And not only is he the Passover lamb, he's also the Lord himself. So right there from the crowds, what we learn is, um, you know, it doesn't, you know, liking Jesus is not enough to qualify for following him. Uh, but following Jesus does mean acknowledging who he is. They were right about that. So that's what we learned from the crowds. Um, let's look at what the disciples do next. I love that John adds this little uh, story right there, especially verse 16, because John, our author, is one of the 12 disciples, and he's an eyewitness to this. And I love when he says these little kind of asides to us. He helps us understand what's going on in the story. And look at verse 14. It says, Jesus then found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. But verse 16 goes on and says, But his disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, and he had done them. You see, what we're supposed to learn from the disciples right there, um, as Jesus turns and he gets the, uh, the colt that the disciples had gotten for him, and he sits on it, and he, as he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, um, it's beautiful because Jesus is not coming on a war horse. Um, he's not coming as a political and military leader. 
as much as the crowds probably wanted him to be a political and military leader. Instead, Jesus mounts a donkey, a creature that for a king would have demonstrated a time of peace and prosperity. And Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, symbolizing peace. You see, what's happening in that story is Jesus is not only teaching us that he has come to bring peace between God and man, he's also letting the crowds know that, hey, you like me, but you don't really listen to me yet. You may remember several weeks ago, I know it's a long time, but several weeks ago when we were going through the Gospel of John, we studied the story of how Jesus fed 5,000 men. And that didn't include the women and children. And part of the reason why John makes a point to tell us it was 5,000 men and that they were arranged by 50s and 100s is because when they see Jesus performing miracles, they really are hoping that Jesus will become their military king and lead them to victory over their enemies, the Romans. And in fact, in that story, It ends with Jesus having to leave the people he has just fed because they were going to come and take him by force and force him to be king. And so right here on Palm Sunday, we even see Jesus um, sort of challenging the crowds and saying, you may want me to be your political and military leader, but right now I have come to bring peace between God and man. I have come to be the ultimate Passover lamb. And the beautiful thing that John points out right there in verse 14 and 15 is that when Jesus does this, he's not just communicating that he has come uh, to make peace with sinners like you and me. He actually points out that Jesus, by doing this, is fulfilling the Old Testament. Zechariah 9.9 which is exactly what he quotes, where he says, fear not, daughter of Zion. That Zion's just another name for the city of Jerusalem. So fear not, citizens of Jerusalem. Behold, your king does come to you, but not on a war horse, but on a donkey's colt. But then I love what John says next in verse 16. John says, but you know what? His disciples, they didn't really get what Jesus was doing. They were probably hoping he was going to come in as a leader like they wanted him to. But as John says, only after Jesus was glorified and after these things had been done to him, did they start to remember what God's word had been teaching them. So what I want you to grasp from that, friends, is is very simple. Uh, First, following Jesus does not mean we always understand what he's doing. (laughs) We don't always get it, what Jesus is up to, minute by minute. I mean, even on Palm Sunday, as Jesus is coming in on the donkey and all the crowds are excited, even the disciples are kind of scratching their heads and they don't really understand why Jesus is riding on the donkey and they don't really understand at all what he's doing. They only really understand after Jesus is glorified. And after certain things were done to him. And of course, they don't really get what Jesus is up to until he is beaten and bruised and rejected and dies on a cross as the Passover lamb for us, but then comes back from the dead on Resurrection Sunday 
and then teaches them to spread the gospel throughout all of the world. And that the gospel is for all people, not just the nation of Israel, but for all the peoples, even Greeks and Gentiles. You see, so what we're supposed to learn right there, Christian, in verse 16 is even the disciples, even John, the guy who wrote this, um, following Jesus for him does not mean he always knows exactly why Jesus is doing the things that he does. But following Jesus is trusting him even in the face of not knowing what's going to happen. You see, this is the difference between liking Jesus and actually learning to follow him. It's saying, I'm sticking with Jesus no matter what. Even if things look terrible, I'm still going to stick out with him. You know, I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament. Uh, I just read it to my kids a few nights ago. Um, I'm hoping you're using this time uh, now that uh, work seems to be so different. I hope you're using this time to read the Bible to your kids if you have them at home. And I read uh, the story of uh, Daniel uh, to my kids, the book of Daniel. And in that story, you may remember three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they will bow down to the statue. And, and so eventually they get thrown into a fire. Uh, and they're talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. And right before they get thrown into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, what God can save you from my hand? I'm about to throw you in the fire, dudes. You know, you need to bow down and worship me. And do you remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? <laughs> they say something to the effect of, um, we're not going to do it. You can't make us. God is going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to your statue. <laughs> and, uh, you know, don't you love the cheeky faith of those teenage boys? You know, I think there's such a, a beautiful demonstration of faith for us is that even if we don't understand what God is up to right now, he can save us and he cannot save us, you know, in our lives. But you know what? I'm sticking with him, you know, throw me in the fire. Maybe I'll burn up. Probably not. But if I do, I'm sticking with the Lord. And I think that's the kind of faith that the disciples have. Um, they're not always totally sure what's going to happen next or why things are happening, but they trust and they follow Jesus anyway. So following Jesus does not mean you're always going to know exactly what's going to happen next. But what following Jesus does mean, if you look at verse 16, is it does mean that you and I, Christian, are supposed to dive into God's word and study it and know it. I mean, if you just pick up the Bible and you start reading it, you'll realize how often it tells us uh, to read it over and over again, to teach it to our children, to talk about it in our rising and our going to sleep at night. And right there in verse 16, notice that they don't really get what the Lord is up to until they start thinking about the things that were written about him. That is, they don't really start to see the full picture until they dive more and more into God's word. So friends, I hope you're using this time, this strange time, uh, to renew your interest and devotion to God's word. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to start studying what it looks like, how God communicates uh, through his word to us. Uh, pick it up. The Holy Spirit will communicate to you through his word. So um, anyway, that's what we see from the disciples, right? We see uh, that following Jesus does not mean we always know what's going on, but that it does mean that we are to dive into his word more clearly. 
And then from the crowds, we see that following Jesus does not mean simply liking to be around him. What it does mean is following Jesus does mean knowing and acknowledging that he is the Lord come to save us all. So what are we supposed to learn from these Pharisees? They show up next in our story. Right there in verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. And if you know the Bible, you'll know the Pharisees are religious leaders who oppose Jesus. Uh, they dislike him. Uh, they, they do not uh, listen to his teaching. They do not acknowledge him as Lord. And so they are seeking ways uh, to kill him, and they ultimately succeed in doing that. But what's shocking about the Pharisees, and what you need to realize right there in verse, teen, verse 19, is uh, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. So, What that means for you and me, friends, is that following Jesus does not mean that the most religious people, the most religious people are always going to be the ones that get it. The most devout people are not always the people who are learning to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus is constantly warning us not to be hypocrites in our faith. Um, not to be like whitewashed tombs, you know, or, or bowls that we clean only on the outside and not on the inside. You know, the, the danger of um, being raised in the church for many of us is that we get really good at washing the outside of the cup. We know when to smile. Uh, we know how to talk. We know the game. But for many of us, we've never really learned what it means to follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's possible for someone to devote their life to knowing the Bible and going to church and even tithing and never learn to follow Jesus. I mean, friends, this is a story for many of the Pharisees. They would have had the Old Testament memorized. They would have tithed. They would have done all the religious things. You see, but knowing God does not hinge. It doesn't swing based on our good works or our perceived righteousness. Um, If anything, those things are usually things that just create more pride in us. What everything hinges on is looking to Jesus and following him and being found in him. So following Jesus doesn't always mean that the most religious people are going to do this best. But what we learn from those Greeks right there in verse 20 It says, now, there were some of these people at the feast who were Greeks, and that's just a way of saying they're non-Jewish people. They're Gentiles like I am. And they come, and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And what we're supposed to realize is that um, following Jesus does mean that anybody can do this. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or you are a Gentile, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are 14 or 84, whether you are rich or you are poor. The call to follow Jesus goes out to anybody, which is why it's such an ironic joke in verse 19. I don't know if you caught the joke. Uh, This is John's sense of humor. Even the religious leaders, those proud, hypocritical leaders, those Pharisees, they say, look, we're not doing anything good. We're gaining nothing. The whole world, the world has followed Jesus, right? I mean, obviously they're talking hyperbolically, but at the same time, it is true. People all over the world can now know the King of Israel 
Jesus, God among us. <laughs> the world is now reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. So what we learn from the Pharisees and the Greeks is that following Jesus doesn't mean the religious people are always going to get this. Sometimes they're just hypocritical. And what it does mean is a surprising group of people are going to respond to Jesus. And that call to give your life totally to him is available to anybody on the planet. Jesus calls all people to himself. And he's calling you to repent and follow him. So let me just finish up then with what we're supposed to learn from Jesus's statements. If you look down, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, then it can bear much fruit. And all Jesus is using is he's using a parable, a very small parable. And he's saying, just like a little seed gets buried in the ground and, you know, dies, so to speak, in the ground. And only then from the soil can it come back to life. Only by giving up your life. Dying to your own desires, your own will, uh, your own perception of what's uh, important for you to do. Only when you give your life up over and you die to yourself, can Jesus give you new birth to become who you were always meant to be. You see, Jesus says if you cling to your life, if you love it, you're going to lose it. But if you hate your life, you know, if, you're, if you're willing to die to yourself, to give your life totally to Jesus, then you will be buried with him in baptism and raised to new life. Just like a seed falls in the ground so that new life can spring up. You see, this is what Jesus is calling all these people to do. But there are some people, like these Greek-speaking people and the disciples, who are starting to get it who are starting to learn what it means to truly follow Jesus. But all over this story in the background and in the noise and in the crowds, there's many, many people who just want to be around Jesus, who just want to like him. But remember, it's the same crowd that just likes him that ultimately cries, crucify him by Friday. So let me just close with this. Um, following Jesus does not mean an easy life. Uh, following Jesus does mean a life with him. Uh, following Jesus uh, does not mean that we are alone, but following Jesus does mean that he is with us no matter what. And following Jesus does not mean you and I are always going to know what he's up to, but it does mean that we're going to search the scriptures more than ever. And following Jesus doesn't mean that uh, the people who are really good at putting on religious airs doesn't mean they're going to be the ones reconciled to God. What following Jesus does mean is that anybody, rich or poor, uh, man or woman, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, uh, friends, let me just, you know, ask you this. You know, do you know where you stand with Jesus you know, hopefully you like him. I hope all of you like Jesus. I don't know how you couldn't. But do you know that you follow him yet? Uh, friends, you can decide today. All you have to do is pray and say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you no matter what. 
And friends, uh, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we pray uh, that all of us uh, listening to this uh, would be called to follow your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are not alone. Uh, Lord, we are suffering much right now, but we will continue entrusting ourselves to you just as Jesus did. And Lord, for anybody who's listening to this, if they don't know where they stand with you, uh, would today be the day, Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Lord, save us. Amen.